of First Thessalonians. And here in the book of First Thessalonians, we're paying attention to some of the basics of the Christian faith, right? We're getting back to the basics. The letter of 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest letters written in the New Testament. It was written by a missionary team of Paul and Silas and Timothy while they were still on the mission field, writing back to a congregation in a church that they had just planted a few months earlier. And so what we get as we read the book of 1 Thessalonians is we get kind of a raw, unfiltered picture of the basics of the Christian faith. And so as we kind of strip away some of the things that we add to church, some of the things that aren't necessary that we add into church, the book of 1 Thessalonians brings us back to some of the basics of the Christian faith. And today, we want to talk about some of the basics of what we might call Christian neighbor ethics or Christian work ethic or Christian labor, Christian working. We want to get back to the basics of that aspect of our lives. And it's worth recognizing that when it comes to this topic of work and the daily work that we do, there are a variety of ways that we can kind of go astray with our daily work, right? And when we talk about daily work, we don't just mean corporate jobs, although that would count. We also mean uh, we also mean swinging a hammer, washing dishes, taking care of kids, teaching, designing websites, managing a strategic team in an office, taking care of an aging relative. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of ways, whether we're a student or whether we're retired, whether we work for a large corporation or whether we are kind of self-employed, there are dozens and dozens of ways that we can approach daily work, dozens of ways that it will look like for each one of us because each one of us has a unique calling in life, a unique vocation of how we're supposed to live out our lives. But here's the thing, with all of this variety of different kinds of daily work that we're called to, there are a couple of common temptations that we face. And one of those common temptations that we face related to our work is the temptation of idolizing our work and making too much of it. So an illustration of that that is kind of lodged in my brain is the picture that comes from the movie Hook that came out many years ago with Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams. Some of you might know what this movie is all about, and some of you might be like, don't talk about that because it has stuff in it that my kids shouldn't see. I don't remember that stuff, so I'm not endorsing it. Look it up online before you show it to little kids. I'm sure there's something in it you don't want them to see. Um, but there was this movie years ago with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, kind of part of the Peter Pan saga. And as part of this story, Peter Pan has gone back to England, and he got a job, and he He's thrown himself kind of a hundred percent into his daily work, so much so that he's been willing to sacrifice everything else that matters to him in pursuit of success in his daily work. And so as a result of this driven pursuit as a Christian, what we might call as a result of idolizing the daily work that he does, 
he has become willing to kind of crawl over, to climb over other people, to crush other people in the process of making business deals. As a sacrifice toward the idol of success in work, he shows up perpetually late for things related to his own kids or family members. And so other things that he loves, like his very own children, end up getting kind of the scraps of his energy and the scraps of his attention and the scraps of his focus. In his pursuit of this idol of success at work, he'll climb over other people. He'll neglect his own children and and those who are dearest to him. And in pursuit of success in the workplace, he's forgotten his own identity. He's lost track of who he is, which is what makes the whole movie work because then he goes back to Neverland and Captain Hook wants to fight him and he doesn't even remember how to fly and you can watch the movie yourself if you check it on an appropriate website first, right? You see, one mistake we can make related to our daily work is this mistake of idolizing work and making of work something more than it was ever intended to be. But on the other hand, there's another kind of mistake that we can make with our daily work, right? Not only the mistake of idolizing the daily work that we're called to do, but also the mistake of despising the daily work that we're called to do. It's common, of course, amongst students despising the daily work that they're called to do. But you can find it kind of in any workplace or any industry People who functionally approach their daily work as if it is nothing more or little more than a necessary evil to be endured in order to get me to the things that really matter in life. And so when I was a college student, um, I had to get a summer job because I had to make money, right? Um, And I was working in a warehouse and there was a memorable coworker I, I had there in the warehouse. Our job typically was essentially kind of quality control. And so we would get these kind of crates of things that we were going to check and make sure they were proper. And then we would send them to other places. And we made T-shirts and mugs and merchandise. So, like, if you go down to the Field Museum and you buy um, T-Rex swag down there at the Field Museum in Chicago. That stuff is made by my, my friends back there at Gottschalk's Graphics in their warehouse, right? And when that stuff arrives, we have to kind of go through the boxes and make sure it's all accurate and then send it to its final destination. And I had this one coworker, one of my favorite guys that I, I worked with there. And, you know, if the workday was supposed to start at 8 a.m. every day at 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 7.59, every single day, you would find him just outside the garage taking a couple last drags of his cigarette, right? Every single day at 7.59 a.m. He's not going to be in there a minute earlier than he needs to be, right? He's not going to waste one extra minute on this job that he has to put up with. And very often I'd stop by and hang out with him because he was hilarious and he was a lot of fun and... He was actually much older than I was. He'd had a career in the military prior to this and was now working there. And I remember one day, I don't know why this picture sticks with me, maybe because it reflects something that's so common to all of our daily experience of daily work. But 
One day I was about to charge in there at 7.59, a minute too soon. <laughs> I was about to charge in there and start the work day, and he kind of stopped me and slowed me down. Took one more deep breath with his cigarette, flicked it aside, and then he kind of pointed at this wall of brown boxes that we had on the side of the, the warehouse. And he said, hold on, hold on. You know what that is? I said, no, what's that? And he said, it's job security. Don't work too fast. (laughs) You see, this is my friend's approach to work, which I say not to be judgmental. I, I share it because isn't this a clear reflection of the way that so many of us and so many of our neighbors view the work that we have to do today, whether it's building websites or washing dishes or moving boxes from one side of the warehouse to the other. We look at the work that has to be done and we assume this is just something to be endured and it's just something to get a little extra money into my pocket. And so if we put too much of our hearts or too much of our souls into this, we're just wasting our time and energy. At the end of the day, although my friend didn't articulate all of this when he said, you know what that is? It's job security. Don't work too fast. What he was really saying is the work that we have to do here in this warehouse is just a necessary evil that gets us a little bit of money so that we can go and live our real lives once we clock back out again. And you see, there are these two different approaches that we can each be tempted to take to one degree or another, maybe not a hundred percent, but these two different approaches that we can each be tempted to take with respect to the daily work that we are called to do. This one mistake of idolizing work and making too much of it, or this other mistake of despising our work and treating it as if it's little more than a necessary evil to be endured so that we can get money and do what we really want to do in our lives, right? What does Jesus have to say to these dangers of idolizing work or despising our work? Some of us first learned the gospel when somebody explained to us that Jesus loves your soul. And he died on the cross so that one day you can go to heaven if you believe in him. I'm not saying that's false. You tracking with me? I'm not saying that's false. But I'm saying that's not the whole story. You see, the fact is that God created this world that we live in right now. The physical stuff of this world. The book of Genesis tells us that God created it and called it good. Which is to say that your physical body and this physical world that we live in is not just a necessary evil to be endured. And when God created us as people... Do you know what he made people for and what he sent people to do? You say, yes, he sent our souls to sing praises to him. Now, again, I'm not saying that's false. 
It's good for us to sing God's praises with our souls. But when God created the world good and he placed humanity in the world, do you know what God placed humanity in the world to do in order to glorify him? He placed us in this world to work. To shape the garden, to shape the place that he had made. He placed us here to glorify him, not by shutting our eyes and ignoring the world around us and then just praying spiritual quiet prayers in our hearts. He made us to know him and to enjoy him and to glorify him specifically through daily work. Which is why as Christians, we don't need to simply despise our work as if it's unspiritual and ungodly and something that God cares nothing about. But it's also why we're freed up to no longer worship our work and treat it as if it's the source of ultimate meaning. Because as Christians, we believe in a God Who created all of this. Worshipping our own work. Worshipping our own pleasure. Worshipping our own satisfaction. Worshipping our own productivity and our own results. It crumbles to pieces. When compared with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created. The heavens and the earth. And so when God wanted to redeem fallen people living in a fallen world, toiling in fallen and broken ways, he didn't just send kind of a spiritual message out there in the air somewhere. He sent his own son to live among us, to toil in this world of fallen labor. For decades, swinging a hammer, doing daily work, quietly approaching daily tasks to the glory of God. And he did all of this all the way to the finish line, at which point he died for us in the flesh. It's not just a spiritual message. He died for us in the flesh. He died for our sins and he rose again in new life as a sign of that new creation that Mike was talking about. And as Christians, we believe that he is making all things new. And that he's invited us into this story of redemption. All of us. Not just our praying spirits and our singing souls. All of us, daily work and all. And with that context of the Bible's story of redemption as it relates to our work, listen with me, if you would, after that very long introduction to this teaching that we discover in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, which says, Now, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. 
But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You see, in this fallen world that we live in, with these different kinds of temptations tugging at us, these different visions of what life is all about, maybe tugging some of us more in the direction of idolizing our work, maybe tugging some of us in the direction of viewing our work as a necessary evil to serve our own ends some other way. It was possible in the earliest churches that were planted It was possible for people to begin following Jesus and yet still have this disconnect between Christian discipleship and daily work. And I wonder if 2,000 years later, some of us are still operating in that way. With this disconnected view of life as if Jesus has called me to follow him. And that means learning to pray. And that means learning to sing. Maybe that means showing up at church. But then there's this other side of my life, my daily work. And we live with this kind of disconnect between Christian discipleship and daily work. And what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is doing, one of the important things that's going on here is it's calling us to see that in the renewal we experience through faith in Jesus Christ, we're called to reconnect Christian discipleship and daily work. And what I've asked Ken to come and do is just take a couple of important ideas from these verses and mingling them together with observation in his own life of 27 years working for one corporation. I've invited Ken to come and talk to us a little bit about what does it look like as we reconnect Christian discipleship and daily work. So would you join me in welcoming my friend Ken as I kind of pass the baton off to him here at this point? But now, whoa. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, Just as a brief introduction, um, my wife Sue and I have been going to Redeemer for a long time. Um, We've raised and continue to raise 11 children, ages 14 to 31. And the tribe has now grown to 20 people, including four grandkids. And the Lord's really provided... For us through my job. Um, We're just grateful to him for for that. Uh, I manage a small team of 20 people, um, a strategy and analytics team, really supporting real estate and construction for McDonald's in the U.S. And no, I can't get the McRib on the menu year-round. I can't bring back salads, and I can't fix the ice cream machine. (laughs) But I do enjoy what I do. 
So I just want to give some thoughts on how to apply some of what uh, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. But before I do that, let's pray. Father, we know we need your help. Lord, I know I need your help. Father, I just pray that your word, your word of truth, your word of life would come alive for us today. Lord, help us to hear what you say to us. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that you do make all things new. And Father, I just pray that you would give us new eyes to see what you have for us in this coming year. In everything that we do, Lord, help us to bring you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. So at first glance, it seems like basic Christianity in this verse is pretty straightforward. But really, when you look at the context, how do we walk in a way that pleases God more and more? That's really where it grabs your attention, the more and more peace. Don't we all want to please God with our lives? This is not really about perfection, but about progress and growth, really for his glory. And remember, we're blameless in Christ alone. We are transformed into his image as we behold his glory day by day. So my first thought when I looked at this scripture and context was really to create a to-do list or a not-to-do list. I'm that kind of person. I like to, to know what I'm, uh, what's ahead of me and what I want to do. That can be wise sometimes, but it really doesn't address our hearts. Remember, our goal is our sanctification and growth and holiness more and more. This is what brings glory to God. Second Peter 1 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And if these qualities, goodness, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, brotherly love, and love are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be effective, and I want to be fruitful for Jesus. So growth in these qualities will help. Plain and simply, people around you will see your growth in godliness. Christian living is more than simply loving other Christians. We must be responsible in all areas of our lives to be effective in sharing our faith. How effective would it be if we don't respect other people and they don't respect us? So, Lord, show us our hearts today and our need for you in this whole process. So I've got three application points that I want to dive into. Um, The first is aspire to live more and more quietly and to mind your own affairs. Second is to have ambition to work more diligently for the right reasons. And third is to live more and more lovingly amongst outsiders. So what does it mean to live quietly? That sounds really good for an introverted person like me. I should strive to live more quietly. I think I can handle that. It won't take much for me. I think I've got this. But for some of us, we need to find God's given voice for us. 
And it's really only by God's grace that I'm even standing up here today. And I think part of what the Lord is after is teaching us to live peacefully. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy to pray for kings and all who are in high positions and that we should lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every every way. So my question to you today is, do you pray for your leaders? Do you pray for those above you and whatever you do? If you do, that'll change your heart towards them. Paul also said in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think I've got the summer camp cold coming on. So are you a peacemaker? Are you looking to resolve conflicts? Or are you more inclined, like me, to avoid difficult situations? Timothy also reminded Paul, Timothy was reminded by Paul to avoid quarreling and foolish arguments, which I think we can often fall into. So what does it mean to live peaceably with all? Maybe it's easier to explain what not to do. What it really doesn't mean, it doesn't mean God doesn't want us to be argumentative, quick-tempered, combative, angry, causing division or discord, or really rebellion against authorities. Remember, the context for them was Jason and the civil unrest in Thessalonica. Sometimes our mission will be disruptive. At times, Jesus was, but most of the time, he was staying in remote places, teaching healing people, and loving those around them. What does it mean to mind our own affairs? Sometimes people want information about others to gossip, slander, or judge. Sometimes people want information because they really care. Learning to ask good questions can really bless people when we interact with them. Sometimes, okay, often, I need Sue to ask me questions just to help me understand my real motives and desires. In brotherly love, we can grow to be sensitive to others' needs. We can also learn to let go of things that don't involve us. We don't need to know everything that's going on, especially areas where we have little influence or control. A need to know could be a sign of a a control idol or just pride or really just a desire to be a busybody, as Paul wrote to uh, the Thessalonian church in the second letter. So aspiring to live quietly and minding your own business is really about living peacefully with those around you, engaged in those relationships and honoring the Lord in them by being cooperative. I can think of it as a long car trip where you ask the kids to be good. What does that really mean? Do they even know what that means? Really, it means kind of minding your own business, being considerate of others so that I can have peace and I can drive quietly. If you were like me as a kid, you frequently ended up in the way back in isolation, the way back seat. But I think God is calling us to live at peace with all people more and more. So what does it mean to work with your hands? I believe that includes an ambition to work diligently. For me, I had a great example of a hardworking dad who, despite his polio, worked as a CPA for over 30 years. 
and my wife, Sue, who not only raised a large family, but homeschooled them. Look at the example of Paul, who did not really participate in the Roman patronage system, where as a highly educated, upper-class Jewish scholar, he could have attached himself to a wealthy patron. Instead, he worked with his hands, making tents in manual labor, working side-by-side with other craftsmen and sharing the gospel. Most likely, there were people in Thessalonica that were enjoying patronage relationships with wealthy Christians. So why do you work? What motivates you? Do you think it's a necessary evil, like Josh mentioned? Or maybe just a way to support your family? Or a way to give to others? At the risk of sounding like a boomer, talking to millennials, work is actually a gift from God. Men and women were meant to work just like God the Creator works. After six days, he rested from his work. In the garden, Adam was to work the garden and not be idle. It's really an act of worship. Work is not just about jobs that pay. It also includes raising a family or serving in the church or volunteering anywhere. Look at the life of Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Most of his years, he was a carpenter and was known for it. That's why people were surprised when he was teaching in his hometown. But Matthew 8 gives an example of a day for Jesus. Walking from the mountain to Capernaum with great crowds following him, he healed a leper on the way, the servant of the centurion, then Peter's mother-in-law, And that evening, they brought many who were oppressed by demons and sick, and he healed them. Often, the scripture says, he healed everyone who came. That sounds exhausting to me, like a long day. Here's another example of how Jesus and God work. After healing the man who was an invalid for 38 years on the Sabbath, Jesus answered them and said, My father is working until now, and I am working, in John 15, 7. And remember, Colossians reminds us that in him all things hold together. And in Hebrews it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is busy. We know God is supreme. We know he's sovereign. But he's not too busy to hear our prayers and to see us in our time of need. So shall we work hard knowing that the fall has brought toil to our work? What if you feel like a slave trapped in a job or a career? Here's what the Lord had to say to the church in Colossae. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. It was estimated that a third of the Roman world were slaves, and another third were former slaves. And yet they were told, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not men. This is a much higher standard and a motivation in our work. What does it mean to work before the face of God? The verses also mention eye-pleasing or people-pleasing work. It would be 
like us working hard in front of our boss or to impress somebody in leadership. But that's, um, or frequently, um, when they're not in the office, how do we really work? I think that's the question of for our And there's been a big temptation during this COVID era when so many of us are working from home. Are Are we working a lot less than we used to? How do we view our work? Are we still working for the Lord or are we really just working for that paycheck? Where's your heart and your work? Sometimes I feel like I just do enough to get by, but I know I'm still getting my work done. And I think that's a challenge for all of us to think about. No matter what we do, are we working before God and to honor him? I know at times um, we can we can work because of selfish ambition. We can work to keep up an appearance that's really just pride. I think for some of us, we can strive for excellence just for our own glory. This pertains to everything from being a student and trying to get those good grades or teaching or doing construction work working in your kitchen or working in an office. But I think God's calling us to something higher. I believe what Paul is trying to communicate to the Thessalonians, and more importantly, what the Lord is saying to us, is that lazy, leisurely attitudes towards work is a poor reflection on him. And maybe some had stopped working because they thought the kingdom of God had come and that Jesus was returning soon. Maybe some were taking advantage of rich Christians' generosity. We don't know the details, but idleness is definitely mentioned in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. We're called to be stewards of all that God has made. As good stewards, we are faithful. We need to be faithful in the little things, even the the things that only the Lord sees. Part of being a good steward is using our time effectively. And work really gives us an opportunity to be productive and creative. Again, it's a gift. So what does it mean to work with your hands and honor Christ? I think the gospel confronts nice people who don't work and hard workers who are not kind to find that right balance. So what does it mean to live more and more lovingly among outsiders? We're really called to be radical and have a different lifestyle than most people, right? Through love. Through love, people will see the Lord. John 13:35 tells us, "By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." Romans 12:9 tells us that love must be genuine or sincere. I can't think of a more important time for the church of Jesus Christ to embrace this. So many people have never experienced genuine love, which is really based on putting someone else ahead of yourself. This includes listening to understand. Jesus set the standard for the new covenant reality. This is how you've been taught by God. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind. This can be especially challenging during family vacations, 
in the workplace, or at youth camps. Wherever you feel surrounded by people, the Lord has a way of bringing just the right heart-revealing situation your way. We need his power to love like he does. Brotherly love also builds one another up. This church in Thessalonica was building up churches throughout Macedonia in brotherly love. This love comes alongside and brings grace and truth. Sometimes we need grace. Sometimes we need truth. Genuine love knows when to bring each at the right time. But what about outsiders? Those who have different faiths or no faith. What about those relationships that are difficult? Bad bosses, lazy coworkers, or people who use different pronouns than I expected. This year I had to take a number of classes as my company is trying to reinforce their value of inclusiveness. I thought, I don't need this. I know how to love people. In fact, I've led small groups at my church. Besides, I know the real agenda, and they might attack me for my faith. I was dead wrong. At first, we think that this is just about diversity, but this is different. What I learned is that diversity is being offered a seat at the table, but inclusiveness is helping people feel like you actually want them to sit with you. I had to ask myself, do I have a welcoming attitude towards everyone? Do I help everyone feel like I want them to sit next to me? I'm also learning that empathy for others is not about what I say or the intent. It's about what people hear or the impact. Often I've realized that my face reveals my heart and my words mean little. It's not just about what pronouns someone might use, but how, how I respond to them as, a, as people. I think we have a unique opportunity for the gospel in 2021. Coming out of COVID-19, there's a new openness to hearing about a whole person's life. Many companies are encouraging people to bring their whole selves to work. This includes many listening sessions to people's stories. For us, that includes our faith, our commitment to our church, and to family life. Please don't think of this just as a corporate office setting. It's, it's about anywhere you labor, whether volunteering or paid. It's about your school. It's about whatever you do or whatever you've been called to. It's just a cultural movement at this time. Our mission mindset should be to have every conversation seasoned with salt. It's inconsistent to be harsh with people and treat them disrespectfully. But on the flip side, in the workplace, being too nice could also mean getting nothing done. So should we represent Jesus in the workplace? How do I, how do, I do that and not get a reputation? Can't I just keep my church life and my work life separate? Do I really want to know and understand people around me? I think those are some of the questions we have to ask ourselves. I believe God's word is telling us that we need to stop creating different compartments in our lives. We need to bring Jesus into our whole life, including our work, workplaces. And in 2021, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ that many are desperate for. Listen to how Peter put it. Now, 
Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We need to approach outsiders with gentleness and respect. I once worked with a self-proclaimed evangelist in my office who was more interested in his message than the people he was bullying. Grace and truth is what Jesus gives us, and that is what others need. I think it's helpful to be prepared with a five-minute testimony of what Jesus has done in your life and a five-minute gospel presentation. I've found that writing those out can be really helpful because often we ramble, we miss opportunities just because we're not prepared. Most of the time, if we are slandered, our serving lifestyle will quiet people. Lastly, depend on no one. This could be about everything from financial debt to relational debt. Don't be motivated by trying to fit into a social or political structure. There's a lot of politics at work. Don't freeload on the church or church members, but understand that it is not ungodly to ask for help when in need. No one knows that you have a need unless you tell people. That's one of the purposes of the church and our small groups. Most of us have gone through seasons of need. We had a family give us money each month for a year to support us through a job change. That was 27 years ago when I joined McDonald's to reduce my, my travel and to keep us from moving to Wichita, Kansas. I took a pay cut to to take that job, but it was worth it. So being in genuine relationships within your local church creates opportunities to love one another. So to wrap up, we need to see these words as the very words of God and not man. Some of you are going back to school soon. Some of you are going back to work. Some of you will continue to work from home. For me... I just got an email this week from the city of Aurora telling me that after years of waiting, I can get a parking spot at the metro station. And it was just a good reminder that I'm headed back to an office in August. It's time for me to re-engage in relationships with people I haven't seen other than on camera for a year and a half. And people have gone through some really terrible things in the last year and a half. There's new needs out there. There's people that need Jesus desperately. And we have a message of hope for people like that, for everyone that we work around. I think it's so important to be reminded to connect our whole lives, our daily work with the gospel of Jesus. And it's so easy to forget that. I have often um, just committed too much to work. I've received a lot of reward awards. My teams have gotten a lot of awards. And yet I've missed really great opportunities with people. So I don't want us to go on missing great opportunities with people. 
So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you do make all things new. Father, I just pray that you would help each of us to think about our workplace, whatever that is, whatever we do, whatever you you have us work with our hands on. Lord, help us to think about the relationships that we have with people and help us to be willing to bring you into all of those conversations. Jesus, thank you for um, all that you do in our lives. Help us to make that connection and to bring you glory. In your name we pray. Amen.